Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of Science in Podcast, presented by Science in Pictures Magazine. I'm one of the ones who talks on this podcast, Madison Dix, and there's another one. The other one that talks on this podcast, Jared Edelman. That's us. We talk to you about science. We do it in a way that hopefully doesn't make you go, what? Because the mission of this podcast is to take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature. Welcome. Also, evidently, to go off the rails about every five seconds, but that's just something that we've uh, landed on over time. Yeah, we like to have fun here, um, mm-hmm. and we like to go on tangents and go down rabbit holes and share fun facts, um, and so uh, that's going to happen to you, so get ready. That's going to happen to you. That's a little scary, but okay, let's let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's right into it. I'd like to remind our listeners, you have control. You can turn us off at any, any time, okay? I would ask that you not until the episode's over, but again, you know, free will and all that. Give us a chance, rate, review, and subscribe, share it with a friend or an enemy if you don't like us, and um, yeah, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Just make sure to send all the hate comments to Madison specifically. All Good. right. Um, what are you talking about this week, Jared? Jared has brought our article this week. We I have brought our article, um, and we are still in uh, the dog days of Shark Month. Um, the last week of Shark Month, or I guess our Shark Month is two months long, so the last two weeks of Shark Month. Anyway, um, it is the last week of Shark Month. Um, also technically still still Pride Month for us, so happy Pride. Um, now, the article I brought for us this time is not about sharks. It is about uh, a close relative of sharks. But the paper I brought for us this week is a shining example of the things that even our distant animal relatives can teach us about our own bodies. Its title is, is called Adult Chondrogenesis and Spontaneous Cartilage Repair in the Skate, Leucoraja erinacea. The article was published around a year ago into the pretty much completely open access journal, eLife. Um, I just discovered this journal uh, using this article, and every single thing they do is open access. It's fantastic. Oh, that's cool. We love open access here. We do love open access. All right, um, cool. So, hey, before we get totally in, so we're talking about skates this week. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Jared, it is um, It's shark month. It is Shark Month, but um, I will uh, throw you uh, this curveball, which is that skates descended from sharks. So in the strict, uh, what's called cladistic sense, you can technically call, call skates sharks still, kind of, but I see your point. Oh, wait, I love it. Okay, so like, I mean, we did Shark Month and Pride Month in the same month. And like, I think this is a great reminder that, you know, boxes and labels, you know, they're just, they're just markers. They're not everything. So these skates, they're a little transitional. They're transitioning us out of Shark Month. Exactly. That's what we're going with. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad we arrived at that point. Um, But yeah, skates are a cartilaginous fish, much like uh, the sharks and rays of the world. Now, this can be a little bit confusing because technically you can also call skates a kind of ray, but we'll get way, way into that stuff in just a tiny bit. Um, Just want to rattle off the authors and the journal before we uh, continue with our little fun fact corner. All right, here we go. Here are our scientists. Tell us their names. There are three, which is easy. Um, We have uh, the scientist Alexandra Marconi uh, from the Department of Zoology at the University of Cambridge, uh, Amy Hancock-Ronimus from Charles River and Woods Hole Marine Biological Laboratories in our very own state of Massachusetts, (laughs) Uh and J. Andrew Gillis, also from the University of Cambridge's Zoology Department and from Woods Hole. Very cool. Keeping it local Mm -hmm. in the family. (laughs) <laughs> uh, quick tangent, by the way, I've, seen, I've been seeing a lot of ads just, just around Boston about a new exhibit that Woods Hole is opening. And yeah. um, 
It has All a picture of a strawberry squid on it, which is one of my favorite squids. Might be my favorite squid. Interesting. I think the big fin squid might be my favorite just because that's all we know about it. It's got big fins. But um, Have you seen the eyes on the strawberry squid, Jared? No, I haven't. So one of its eyes is normal and small, and that's the one that you see on the side of the buses um, here in Boston. (laughs) (laughs) The other eye is 10 times that size. Oh, it's that one. Outward from, it's also called the cockeyed squid. Yeah, it, yeah, it yes. projects outward from the mantle and it's like a big green half globe. It's crazy. Love it. Yeah. Love that to bits. Even further away from sharks now, but you know. <laughs> just, no more just, vertebrae. Just we're just gonna, we're gonna transition you real fast here, listeners. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and our next transition is gonna be us walking right over to our little fun back corner. Yes! If it's your first time here, the Fun Fact Corner is when me and Jared talk about some fun facts that are unrelated to the topic of the episode. So what have you brought for us today, Jared? So my fun fact is a little bit more of a uh, public service announcement because I am in several insect ID groups and the myth of the brown recluse is getting (laughs) real, real, real pervasive. And I just need to say that if you are in the United States, there are two medically significant spiders. There's the brown recluse and you have the black widow. Are either of these spiders actually likely to bite you? No, they're not. There was actually a study done on black widows in, I think, the 90s, and you essentially have to crush them to get them to bite. I, did I tell you, Jared, that I've been bitten by a black widow? Are you really? Yeah. Wow, what happened? Here in Boston. Oh, wow. <laughs> I rolled over onto it and it bit me in the ass. <laughs> what were your symptoms? What happened? Um, I didn't notice at first that I'd been bitten because I was taking a nap at the time, but then I got up to walk to my job at a restaurant where I worked at the time at the time and um, I was about halfway through my walk and I started to get really dizzy and nauseous and like sweaty and like it's only like a 20 minute walk. But by the time I got there, like I vomited pretty quick after I got to the restaurant and I was like, I think I have food poisoning or something and literally called an Uber to take me to urgent care and um Thankfully, they noticed when I was sitting in there that I kept itching my <laughs> They were like, what's going on there? And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's just like kind of swollen and itchy. But um, and then I just pulled it up. And sure enough, you got the little bite marks. Oh, boy. Yeah, you, you got bit by a spider there. Um, oh, I was like, am I going to die? And they were like, no, common misconception. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another good good thing to say is it's literally only adult females that have the medically significant venom. Um, both juveniles and adult males, you really have nothing to worry about besides the symptoms that you obviously felt. Yeah, I was fine at 30 minutes after that. Mm-hmm. They gave me, I don't remember what they gave me, but so, like something basically for hydration. <laughs> like, and that was it. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. also, don't trust doctors to diagnose brown recluse bites either. Uh, there was a study done on hospitals and a good 94% of things that were uh, supposedly diagnosed as brown recluse bites were not actually brown recluse Just bites. infections, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Anything can cause, well, not anything can cause n- 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 necrosis, but there's a lot of things that can cause necrosis that aren't brown recluses. Yeah, germs are much more common than spiders, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, that's a cool fun fact. Wait, were you done with it or did I interrupt it? I think I'm done. All right, cool. I'll step off my high horse. Um, even though I've already shared two <laughs> fun facts, I have another. <laughs> I don't know one that was fun, but sure, keep going. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's kind of fun that I got bit in the butt by a spider. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, I'm not mad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, so my fun fact is something that you might already know, Jared, but um, 
So as you know, I'm reading another book about plants. I'm reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And I found out that um, the following plants have something pretty big in common. And I'm wondering if you can guess what it is, okay? Um, tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, belladonna, mandrake, henbane, and tobacco. They're all nightshade, right? Yeah! Yeah. They're all in the same family. So it's the um, Solanaceae family. Solanaceae. So, so My fingers are weird. They have just like a odd letters where they shouldn't be. Just just, just keep going. Yeah, a lot of vowels. But L, nope, doesn't even start with an L. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. Um, yeah, a lot of letters. But S-O-L-A-N-A-C-A-C-E. Solanaceae or something? I don't know. Yeah, Solanaceae. Thank you. That's the name of the family. Um, so I am blown away by this because, you know, some of those plants are literally life-giving. Like tomatoes have like all of those, like there's some of the most important food plants and then also some of the most deadly poisons and also birth control and also tobacco. Like it's crazy mm -hmm. that all of those plants are related. And I'm like, Literally, those plants have definitely evolved a lot since humans started being a thing. And I would say they're they're controlling us. I would say that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Plant, yeah. there's, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of plants that are controlling us, I think. Trees for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah these plants, huh. I mean, like, I can just, I can see it happening. Like, both of these, you know, in reaction to us, like, one of them, like, creates poison that if it human eats that fruit like they fertilize the plant basically and the other one creates food that humans will propagate the plant so i'm like yep they're smart those plants. Yep, just kind of hope you don't get the neurotoxic one exactly so that's my <laughs> fun fact that's my fun fact for this week love it that makes me think of hornworms as well which aren't native to uh our very own massachusetts but they are actually a caterpillar that consumes nightshade plants and incorporates what little toxin that plant may have just they, they can take tomatoes, they can take tobacco, and they take what little nightshade toxin exists in those plants and they incorporate it inside their body. So don't eat uh, hornworms and don't feed your reptiles hornworms from outside because they are more than likely poisonous. Are they native to the Midwest and do people ever call them tomato worms? Uh, yep, there's two species. Uh, there's So I don't remember if the tomato and tobacco hornworms are actually the same uh, species or not, but they do look very, very similar. I think I, I think we had a lot of those in my garden growing up. Oh, wow. They have a little on their head, right? So that's actually their butt. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> but like as a child looking at them, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, that's, that's what they want you to think. That they, they want you to take a bite out of the horn on the butt so, they, so you don't go for the head. Well, just well, they're wanting to worms, do I never bit your butt. So don't tell people I did. Very good. <laughs> All right, so that's our fun fact corner, folks. Uh-huh. Um, next, we stroll on over to the jargon corner. Isn't that right? Oh, wait, pause. Pause mm -hmm. halfway. Yeah. Listeners, if you want to see visuals of the stuff that me and Jared talk about, or if you want to talk to us and suggest articles, guess what? You can do that. Where can they find us, Jared? You can find us at our email at podcast at scienceandpictures.com as soon as I recover the password. You can find us at um, the Instagram and Facebook, which Madison will tell you the name of now. Just the Instagram. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at science underscore in underscore podcast. And you can also check out our host, Science and Pictures, at scienceandpictures.com or science underscore in underscore pictures. And let us know if you want us to get a Twitter because we're considering it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. To the jargon corner, where yes. we unpack some of the more sciencey terms that are going to be involved in our topic. 
and it is going to be impacting because this article was pretty much two experiments wrapped into one. Um, one could say even multiple experiments wrapped into one. But uh, there are some things that we uh, need to have straightened out. First up, Roger Formies. Sounds like a name. It is a name. Roger space Formies. R A J I Formies. Oh, so not a, not. I thought it was Roger Formies. No, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, who is he, and why is he in our jargon corner? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea what that word means. So Roger Formies is the skates. Oh. Mm-hmm. All of them? Re- All of them. If you recall from our first Shark Month episode, uh, sharks, rays, and their close cousins are the elasmid rays, uh, which form one of the two major branches of cartilaginous fishes. If you zoom further in on that branch, you can separate the sharks from the batoids, which are the flattened cartilaginous fishes that essentially aren't sharks. Hmm. Um, collectively, given the common name of rays, there are actually, rays are even more diverse than sharks. There's about 200 more known living species of rays than there are sharks. Really? Um, indeed. There's about 650 rays and about 450 sharks. 650? Uh-huh. Wow. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. I have been telling people wrong information. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know why, but I had it in my head that there's about 500 species of sharks and 300 species of rays. Um... You can technically say 500 because it's somewhere between 450 and 500. But yeah, there's but definitely upwards of, way off. Yeah, there's definitely upwards of 600 rays. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Live and learn, my guy. Yeah. Um, so the batoid pie itself can further be divided into four more slices. You've got your traditional stingrays. You've got your torpedo rays, your shovel nose rays uh, and their sawfishes and allies. And of course, of particular importance to this episode, the roger forms, or skates. Skates can be differentiated most easily from other rays by their rhombus-like outlines, often thorny appearance, preference for colder water compared to warm, and lack of venomous stinger at or near the base of the tail. All of these things are true about me as well. What, but <laughs> you <laughs> the rhombus-like appearance. Interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. Also, Normally people want the hourglass shape, but I guess you want the rhombus one. Uh, listen, don't tell me what shape I'm supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a star, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> pentagram. Okay, so like skates are cool. Love yeah. them a lot. Um, a lot of people think that they're stingrays, but aside from the biological differences, one thing that I know is that stingrays are more typically found in warmer water. Skates are found in colder water. And mm-hmm. then also, stingrays give live birth and skates lay eggs, right? Majoritively. There are some skates that give live birth, but most do lay eggs. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So like, does this article, okay, so wait, we're in the jargon corner. Okay. So that's Roger Forms. Roger Formies. A Roger, a Roger Formies is skate. Roger Formies is, is the order. All right. Cool. 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 Yeah. Ready to keep going? Yes. All right. Next up is cartilage. Cartilage. I was hoping that we were going to get to here because you kept saying cartilaginous fishes and I was like, I don't know if all of our listeners know what that means. I don't know, man. All right. The cartilage um, in the human body, we can find it in our ears or the tip of our nose, it is that bendy material that is super strong and tough, kind of like bone, but much more flexible. Exactly. Um, cartilage is technically categorized as a connective tissue and is found in a pretty wide variety of animals, not just vertebrates, believe it or not. Uh, there's cartilage and cephalopods as well. Oh, I know. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so cartilage itself can actually exist in three different forms. You have hyaline cartilage, which is the most versatile type, that's the type that's found inside our joints, our nose, our ears. Um, you have, what's the next one? 
fibrocartilage, which is a much more rigid type. That's the one that sits between our vertebral discs and there's a little bit inside our pelvis as well. Mm -hmm. And then you have elastic cartilage, which supports our internal, our external ears and our throats. Oh, if that supports yeah. our external ears, then wouldn't that be the part that's in our ears? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, Jared. Okay, so hyaline cartilage. <laughs> <laughs> retroactively say that hyaline yeah, cartilage well, is probably both. hyaline and the other one are probably built in our ears. I'm guessing that's probably. Um, yeah. That's actually a really good uh, thought that we will touch on a tiny bit later. But the first two types, the hyaline cartilage and, and the fibrocartilage, those ones are going to be important moving forward. Okay, cool. Those are the important right. ones. Cool. Yes, indeed. Last up are chondrocyte and chondroprogenitor cell, uh, though both of these are actually less useful to remember than the prefix chondro. And I think a great example of how Greek and Latin root words can help you bypass a lot of the useless memorizing in any kind of science. That's Imagine. true. If you learn the roots, then you can understand why what certain things are related to. Now, interestingly enough, I know that these words, so I know the word chondrixes, which has this mm -hmm. root, and I know that that's related to sharks, like cartilaginous fishes. Yeah. But I don't actually know, like, where the word chondro comes from, like, whether it's Latin or Greek or, like, whatever, or what it really means. So, in like so it is Greek. Uh, chondro comes from the Greek word chondros, meaning cartilage, and for some reason, grain in some cases. It's one of those, like, double meaning words. Grain. Um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but <laughs> so if a piece of jargon contains chondro, uh, like, like you said, chondrichthys, the cartilaginous fishes, that's actually, it means cartilaginous fish, chondro, cartilage, ichthys, fish. Oh, wow. Okay. So I knew it, I could, okay. Mm -hmm. We're with it. We're with it. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you can pretty much be certain that it's got something to do with cartilage because the grain thing quite, didn't quite catch on, I guess. It's not a grain fish, no. <laughs> it's not a grain fish, no. <laughs> so relating this back to our key terms, uh, what can you tell me about chondrocytes and chondroprogenitor cells? Chondrocytes, chondroprogenitor cells. So electrocytes are cells that are able to receive and or produce electricity. So I would say chondrocytes would be sites that can create cartilage, cells that yes. can create cartilage. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Then, Chondroprogenitors, I know progenitor is like, again, the creation of, so I'm guessing that would be an organ where that happens or something? Super close. So you you were right on the money with a chondrocyte. It is a yeah. cartilage producing cell. Um, a chondroprogenitor is, I used to think of them as stem cells, but they're not quite stem cells. They're early relatives of stem cells. Um, they're kind of like- marrow? They are something- in our body, they actually don't exist in, in adult bodies um, because mammals actually really suck at repairing our cartilage, which is kind of the yes, point of the article. we do. We do. Um, but yes, there are progenitor cells of a lot of different kinds inside the bone marrow. All right, cool. All right, but that yeah. makes sense because the bone marrow is where they make the bone and the blood. So. Exactly. Um, but just to put a, a solid name on it, uh, progenitor cells are sort of, I guess you could call them quote unquote primitive stem cells. Um, and fairly similar in that they will eventually turn into another type of cell. Um, but they have sort of a more certain destiny. Regular stem cells can kind of become anything. Yeah. 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 True. Well, okay, cool. within reason. But yeah. Um, so yeah. Slap chondro onto progenitor and you've got a cell that is destined to become a chondrocyte. All right. Cool. So I'm gathering that this article, we're going to learn about how skates repair their cartilage. We're going to learn if they even can. Because it is, this is a scientific black hole. There is, this is kind of the first study of its kind. Because if they can do it, it'd be cool to learn that because that would give me hope for us. Because, you know, 
you twist your ankle and you're donezo if you're over 25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep moving. Indeed. Uh, yeah, so with that, uh, let's jump in. So, humans and other mammals obviously don't end up with skeletons made of cartilage, but it would actually be wrong to say that you and I never had one. Um, during embryo- oh, yeah, we were babies, we have one. When you were an embryo. Yeah, sorry. Free baby. <laughs> Free baby, yes, exactly. Um, during embryonic development, the skeleton actually starts out as entirely made of cartilage, specifically hyaline cartilage. The versatile, glassy-looking type that we mentioned in the jargon corner. That's the it's very mechanically superior to fiber cartilage in many ways. Um, that's gonna come into play later. Mechanically superior meaning it's better for those functions. Yeah. Honestly, the pre-baby stage is such a good stage. Like, we have a cartilage skeleton, we have gills. We're basically just little sharks. Yeah, I miss being a fish. Mm -hmm. There are some people that actually do have a rudimentary gill on uh, behind their ear. Oh, it's called a pre-auricular sinus. So cool. I'm so jealous. Yeah, mostly common in people of Asian and African descent for, 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 for whatever reason. But yeah. Better. What's up? What? I said because they're better. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Over time, uh, that hyaline cartilage that was in our little pre-baby skeleton is largely replaced by bone, um, except for in areas like the joints. Chondrocytes and chondroprogenitors, the cartilage cells and cartilage pre-cells, also stick around and build on those cartilage pockets until basically the end of the mammal juvenile stage. That's what you said about the whole 25 thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much it, though. There's not much at all to say that these pre-cartilage cells actually persist in, in to our adulthood. That's pretty important because chondrocytes are not indefinite. They, they, they can multiply, but there's a set limit to how many times they can actually multiply. So if you want new cartilage cells, you need chondroprogenitors. So what this means is if you're planning on doing anything reckless, do it before you turn 25, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do it for yep. me. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this pretty likely goes a long way towards explaining why mammals, especially adult ones, are so very bad at healing from joint cartilage injuries. That's the hyaline cartilage. Mm -hmm. However, with genetic technology advancing ever forward, it's not unreasonable to think that there may one day be a way to avoid this issue by tricking our bodies into creating chondroprogenitor cells as adults. Yes, love tricking my body. How do I do it? <laughs> Well, to accomplish this, uh, the focus of study has turned to our distant cartilage skeleton cousins, the chondrichthians. Heck yeah! Mm-hmm. So here's the problem. Um, the study of development at the cellular level for cartilaginous fishes themselves is, for the most part, a scientific dead zone. There's just, there's barely any work done on it. Um, and it hasn't actually been known either way whether their bodies do house those progenitor cells throughout adulthood. But there is two good reasons why yes is the more likely answer. One... And this is one of the ways that uh, cartilaginous fishes differ from us, but chondrichthians exhibit what's called indeterminate growth, meaning they, and more importantly, their skeletons, continue to grow throughout their lives. So they never stop. It plateaus and sort of gets slower and slower and slower with every year, but never truly stops. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So technically, sharks never stop growing? Technically, no, they never stop. I did not know that. That's so interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Same thing for reptiles, actually. Really? Uh-huh. Maybe not birds, but the scaly ones. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And two, uh, besides some mineral reinforcement, the chondrichthian skeleton is made entirely of hyaline cartilage, the same type inside our joints, and from my understanding, a type that cannot be made without chondroprogenitors being present. Mm. Indeed. And so, our trailblazing authors set out to test this possibility once and for all using the little skates, Leucorrhagia aranesia. 
Oh, the is, little skate. Mm -hmm. I love the little skate. They are lovely. And they are already a common species of study to be found in the Woods Hole Marine Biology Lab. Again, oh, yeah, a place I really, really want to visit. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Let's yeah, let's go. Podcast. Yeah. Okay, we'll make a plan. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's what this podcast is for. Um, hey. They begin... <laughs> So they began with through axes, by the way, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you, you all need to try axe throwing. It's fantastic. Yes, I like Geralt of Rivia, and it was great. We did it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they began with two primary goals in mind. One, determine whether chondroprogenitor cells truly do persist in adult skates, and two, determine if cartilaginous fishes like skates are capable of repairing their skeletons in a manner that our bodies could eventually make use of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very enterprising. I see this. Very biomimicry. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. So the work that we'll be talking about was done using skate embryos, hatchlings, and adults. Um, it seemed logical for me to start with the embryo work, so let's go with that. All right. So we're out of, we're out of the jargon corner now. Yep. We are full-fledged into the study. Out of the jargon corner, into the study. Dun dun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I was watching a lot of SVU. Was that the law and order ding I was about to ask? <laughs> the order contract these. <laughs> there is an elite squad known as the contract <laughs> As the Roger. Okay. All right. Rail it back in. Uh, Here we are. He said as if he didn't enable her to do that. Um, you so to do that. Okay. Yep. Uh, first up, our authors wanted to investigate and map out the early growth of skate cartilage and note any similarities in the process as is known for mammal embryos. They did this by allowing a series of embryos to grow to a certain point, then humanely euthanizing them and sampling a section of their skeleton. These sections were taken, fixed, and injected with three different staining technologies. Uh, Madison, what's a staining technology? Uh, something that makes it a color. Exactly. Makes it easier to visualize. Um, so yeah, they did this to uh, visualize the different cellular processes occurring within. So in developing mammals, the original cartilage is created by a mass of what's called pre-skeletal tissue. It's basically just those tissues that will uh, eventually become bone. Um, cells inside that tissue begin to secrete components of the cartilage extracellular matrix, which is the stuff that we can see that gives cartilage its properties. That's basically, it's the glassy mass that the cells sit inside, you know? Love a glassy mass. But well, yeah, you know. <laughs> so um, eventually, uh, those 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 chondroprogenitors that are sitting inside that matrix, they're going to become those full fledged chondrocytes. Mm -hmm. So here's what they did: they used something called Mason's trichrome stain, trichrome being three colors. So they could actually um, observe three processes at once: the gathering, the secreting, and the differentiating of those cells into full fledged chondrocytes. Okay, cool. So they basically have this way of staining it. So like as everything develops and matures, they can tell what's becoming what. Exactly. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, when all that was said and done, uh, the similarities between embryonic skate and mammal cartilage were pretty damn similar. Uh, possibly surprising, possibly not, depending on how, we, how you look at it. We are little sharks in there. <laughs> we are little sharks in there. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so next, our authors wanted to look specifically at the aforementioned cartilage extracellular matrix, and even more specifically, the genes that guide its, its production. The reason uh, so um, is because this process has actually been studied quite extensively in mammals. With that work, identifying the co-expression of two crucial genes that are regulated in turn by a handful of proteins that help them along. So they wanted to see if these genes were also active in skates. All right. 
And so they uh, did that. <laughs> Gene science. Well, I can see why this one would be more in-depth. Genetic science is like, it's a lot going on there. Yeah, exactly. I had to read this so many times. Um, <laughs> so basically, to see if, if the same is also true for skates, if those uh, same genes are active, the authors employed a technique called in-situ hybridization. You ever heard of that? Okay, so in-situ is on-site or inside. Mm-hmm. Um, hybridization is... Um, combining two things that are separate into a thing that is both. Exactly. It's it's crazy. So basically, this insanely futuristic technique involves synthesizing a strand of DNA that's complementary or the other half. Um, remember, DNA is a, is is the double helix, um, and making yeah, it so the two halves of the ladder from exactly talking two different animals. What's up? Two different animals that they're for the DNA. Like what they have one half of the lattice. So basically, what what they're doing. One? So so they. Okay, I should have explained this. They introduce a compound to basically disrupt the DNA in, inside that cell, and then they put that hybridization factor inside, and that's going to bond to the actual DNA strands they're trying to find and light them up like fireworks. Oh my gosh! It was insane. Wow. So literally, in situ means inside the cell in this oh, yeah. case, and they're mm-hmm. getting right inside of those cells into the DNA and making them basically glow for science. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, uh, they did that to find the complementary DNA strands. Now, if you do this with a fragment of a cartilage-building gene or regulator, and it's able to bind, then you know that gene is active in the area that you're studying. And when this was done, much like with the, with the previous test, the very same genes and regulators that build the cartilage extracellular matrix of mammals were also being employed in the studied skates. Oh my gosh, so the same genes that we use to make cartilage are the same ones that they use to make cartilage. Uh-huh. Not only are mammal and skate embryos somewhat similar in how their cartilage physically develops, but like you said, the very same genes that build the cartilage of both are one and the same. Um, these are very extremely conserved genes to be conserved all the way from fishes to mammals. Next time I meet a skate, I'm going to be like, hey, we have more in common than you might realize. We have, you make cartilage, I make cartilage, we do it in the same genes. Let's <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Now, there is a different end result, of course. Um, uh, in yeah, I mean, I'm not actually rhombus-shaped. <laughs> exactly. Nor do you have a skeleton made of cartilage. Unfortunately, um, no. Unfortunately, no. So the different end result in skeletal structure begins when the chondrocytes sites of mammals expand or become hypertrophic. As this happens, the cartilage is vascularized or invaded by blood vessels. That's another difference between their cartilage and ours. Um, ours doesn't have blood vessels inside of it, so you can't actually shuttle things inside of it to heal it. Yeah, no, ours does not have, their cartilage has blood vessels inside of it. Oh, sh- So cool. Um, I wasn't supposed to tell you that yet, but hopefully you forget. Ha um, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so um, as that's happening, um, our no, cartilage gets hard. invaded by the blood vessels, and then they're going to bring in those bone-making cells that replace the chondrocytes. It's just a piecemeal replacing of those chondrocyte cells with bone in our bodies. In our bodies, but skates never make bones. They don't. Um, but that is probably another reason why we suck at cartilage repair. Our hyaline cartilage, as we said, exists as solid, non-vascularized blocks. When adult mammals injure their hyaline cartilage, that uh, what was damaged is always replaced with fibrocartilage, the much less useful kind for the actual purpose of being inside joints. That's what causes the pain. Oh, man. And that's mm-hmm. why it's it all clicky. Exactly. Well, maybe. Maybe. I don't know enough about I made, that. I made a leap there. <laughs> Remember, not a doctor. Yeah. Um, but what about the skeleton of a skate? Now, this part's useless because I just revealed it to you. But 
Um, might that <laughs> might they also have a, a vascularized cartilage skeleton? And might that also permit them to easily heal that skeleton back to what it once was if injured? That would make so much more sense because, I mean, think about like when you get, if you like whack yourself on accident or like cut yourself and it gets like hot and like, you know, everything that's because blood is rushing to the area because that's what you need to repair it. Mm -hmm. The white blood cells are in there. They help with that. They do. uh, I am a doctor, MD, so. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my sense initials for anyone curious. Um, Initials, not my profession. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Do you want to take my advice? Thank you and good night. Thank you, Dr. Dix. Uh, surprisingly, um, at least to me, no one before our authors had ever thought to answer those questions. Um, at least anyone that got a paper published. Wow. Indeed. So we just now found out that skates have literal, like, blood vessels in their cartilage. Maybe. We haven't got to that part yet, so I'm going to say maybe still. Okay, maybe. All right, yeah. sorry. I'm really excited on this because it's very cool. Continue. It, it is really cool. I am <laughs> kicking myself that I ruined this entire episode. But <laughs> so... If skates are able to to repair their skeletons, then they must have a renewable source of chondroprogenitor cells throughout their lives to to allow that to happen. Um, That source uh, was discovered in skate hatchlings as the authors investigated any possible patterns in the way that their skeletons grew. So basically, in this experiment, they're trying to figure out where those cells are actually being being produced. Uh Uh-huh. They did this uh, by injecting hatchlings with a traceable molecule that would actually be passed along as the cartilage cells divided. And then they waited. At 1, 5, 10, and 40 days, a very tiny biopsy punch was used to remove a tiny piece of skeletal uh, section called the metaterygium. This is basically a part of their fin, um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's easily seen in embryos, uh, hatchlings, and adults, so that's why they used it. But, indeed. So then they prepared these for, for analysis using similar staining methods they did for the embryo work. In doing this, they identified the perichondrium, or the layers of tissue surrounding the cartilage, as that source of, of new progenitors. Cool. Cool. So, so is that what, what, was, what was the glassy mass, if you will? <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, picture like, no, don't picture an egg, because those are solid. But like, picture an egg. Won't picture an egg. <laughs> don't picture an egg. I don't know where I was going with this, so we're just going to keep going. I'm not picturing an egg, Jared. Let it go. Uh, Picturing an egg. Stop it. Um, Let's but... stop picturing an egg. I know you're doing it. <laughs> but anyway, moral of the story, inside the connective tissue that surrounds their, their cartilage bones, that's where the progenitors are being made. They also found that those cartilage-building genes found in mammals remained active in the skate hatchlings. Mm, so the ones that we get rid of, and the reason that I, when I fall on the street, it's a problem. <laughs> it's not a problem for skates. Exactly. And now, oh, good for them. <laughs> good for them indeed. You ready for the adults? Sure. All right. That wasn't a very confident show, but we'll keep going. I am ready for the adult skates. I am ready. Fantastic. <laughs> In depth analysis of the skate skeleton, uh, again, quite possibly for the first time ever, revealed two previously unknown features. The first, which we won't get very much into, it's not incredibly exciting, uh, was that the arrangement of tissue layers inside the skate metaterygia were quite similar to what was found in a ray called the Huller's Round Ray, which <gasps> suggests that that morphology might be shared between skates and rays. I love the Huller's Round Ray. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, currently the most venomous ray known to science, but you still really have to worry I about. know, and we have them in a touch tank. Who's we? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, so fun. 
All right. <laughs> the second feature, and much more important to this discussion, was a series of canals, beginning in the perichondrium, that tissue around the cartilage, and snaking all the way into the center of the skeletal elements. Those canals were filled to the brim with connective tissue-producing cells. And more staining identified a great many of them as active producers of type 2 collagen. Again, just like cartilage, collagen comes in multiple types. Mm-hmm. Um, don't need to worry about that. But the, I'm just going to real quick, and because, you know, the whole skincare routine thing is real in the zeitgeist right now. If you're thinking uh-huh. about the collagen in your skincare routine, this is not the same one. Let it go. Stop picturing an egg. Okay. Let it go. Stop picturing <laughs> But anyway, the type of collagen they found uh, makes up a large part of, you guessed it, hyaline cartilage. Mm. So it's that one that makes it. And amazingly, a bit more hybridization work revealed that the very same cartilage genes and gene regulators active in the skate embryos and hatchlings were active in the adults. Well, hey, a little bit of Peter Pan syndrome going on. Mm -hmm. Another round of, what's up? I said we love it. We do love it. We love it. We love it. Another round of staining further revealed that chondroprogenitors were actively being produced in the perichondrium of adult skates and actively shuttled into the skeleton proper via those newly discovered canals. So they did exactly what we hope they did. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is such an efficient system. Yes, it is. One might wonder why we ever deviated from it. Well, technically they deviated from having a skeleton, but still. Why did we deviate the way that we did? I don't want bones. Now we have capitalism. God I'm damn upset. It. <laughs> So, we've established that the genetic toolkit for producing hyaline cartilage has been highly conserved from fishes to mammals. And more importantly, that toolkit is actively functioning in adult skates to produce their skeletal hyaline cartilage throughout their entire life. But, one question still remains. Does that mean that they can actively and effectively repair said skeleton? I'm hoping yes. So, to figure this out once and for all, 26 adult skates had a section... What? I thought this was going to be unanswered, like, for oh, no, the they, science needs to, no, but they did it? They did, yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm so Oh yeah. Here. All right. <laughs> so to figure this out once and for all, 26 adult skates had a section of their metaturgia removed with a four millimeter biopsy punch. Um, and the process of recovery, or lack thereof, was uh, monitored. A pair of skates were humanely euthanized a week after the fact, and then once a month for the next year, uh, and <laughs> prepared for analysis to determine if spontaneous healing did occur. If you recall from earlier, when adult mammals injure their hyaline cartilage, it's not actually repaired, but filled in with fibrocartilage, which is unfortunately for us, pretty inferior to hyaline for the purpose of being in joints. Yeah, that's why you're all crackly. And when you wake up from sleeping on a couch, you feel like you died. That's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Dix, once again. Now, would the same happen in the studied skates? Uh, As a doctor, um, <laughs> no, I'm hoping that the answer is no. The answer is no, not at all. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got, they, it works for them, the system. It does. So monthly, them. Oh, yeah. So monthly analysis of the healing experiment revealed that skates can indeed r- r- repair their skeletons. While there was a bit of variation in, in the rates of re- recovery, all injuries were either entirely healed or just shy of completion by the 11 or 12 month mark. Recovery began with the filling of missing metaterygium by only connective tissue, but by the three-month mark had begun to morph into the previously missing cartilage. Wow. So they put the progenitors in, and they filled the spots that, that were missing. A oh final bit of... It's crazy, right? Um, but a final bit of staining provided the final nail inside the coffin. What was filled in was not fibrocartilage, but the original hyaline. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. So, Madison, what so do we think? So they can go rollerblading whenever they want, and if they fall on their knee, they'll be fine. Partly because they don't have knees, but that's yeah, no, that. What everything I just said is not true because they can't. They can't go roller skating. They don't have knees. They don't have feet. But <laughs> the point is, they're much better at repairing their cartilage than we are. Um, so if they do want to do something fun and kooky, they're in a better position. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, now, is that what, what we take away from all this? Probably um, not. What do we take away from all this, Jared? Well, um, does it mean that we can expect uh, in a few years to, to be able to live completely recklessly and give our joints all the punishment we want? Knowing a visit to no. No. If you visit the skate doctor, they'll spit water in your face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so will I. Uh-huh. So, not quite, um, though you could consider this work a jumping off point for meeting that goal. What was found, most importantly, was that animals like skates are able to repair their highline cartilage when we cannot. Absolutely not. And most importantly, using the very same genes that build our highline cartilage when, when we're still embryos and little babies. Mm-hmm. That alone makes the prospects of human cartilage repair very promising through the further study of our distant skate cousins. Yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, as genetic science continues... Um, I can see a possibility of us being able to to change that for humans so that we're able to repair. Although, yes, indeed. I mean, that depends on a lot of factors. Um, Whether we're alive to see that happen. Um, yeah, yeah. I do want to say one more thing, though. Okay, say it. So, uh, perhaps most importantly, uh, the findings of this paper offer a ray of hope to sufferers of osteoarthritis, which is a debilitating t- deterioration of the joint cartilage that results in moderate to severe pain, stiffness, and complete loss of movement in the worst cases. Mm-hmm. As of yet, there are no cures for this chronic c- condition, only treatments. But sometime in the future, cell-based therapies informed by the study of animals like skates could be the cure that scientists and sufferers alike have, have been searching for. Heck yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time that really groundbreaking new technology that helps a lot of humans was inspired by a chondrixian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we have in our human world that are inspired by animals and even specifically chondrichthians like sharks, rays, and skates. Exactly. Most recently, uh, we found that the dermal denticles covering their skin are actually really good at keeping microbes off. So uh, shark skin doorknobs are becoming uh, quite a popular thing in some places. And to be clear, shark skin inspired doorknobs. They're not. Oh, no, no, God, no. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a synthetic um, replica of shark skin. And so, yeah, if you've ever seen like self-cleaning elevator buttons, for example, that's inspired mm-hmm. by shark skin. Now, um, I don't really buy that those actually do what they're supposed to, but yeah. I, I mean, I think they, like, they don't, self-cleaning is a weird word for them because they don't actually clean themselves. It's just yeah. that germs can't reproduce on them as easily or transfer oh, yeah. from to and from. So, like, I think they do do what they're supposed to do. It's just not what they say they do. <laughs> that makes sense. That does make sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm just naturally skeptical of anything that seems to me like a miracle cure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not a miracle. COVID still happened. <laughs> like, well, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because it's a respiratory disease. It's not really spread on surfaces. Anyway, um, thank you, Sharks, Ray Skates, and Jared. You're very welcome. Yeah, pretty cool. Am I included in that cladistic analysis? Am I a yeah, skate? Yeah, well, I mean, we all were at one point, apparently. Well. I know. Okay, you know, you you knew as soon as you, 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 you were going to say that, that you'd get a well out of me. So I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> but just so you know, I had something to say about that. That's a really cool article. Thanks. It's yeah, a good one to shepherd us out of Shark Month, which has been a lovely month. Indeed. Um, and I am partly glad that we are done with Shark Month because this article was goddamn hard to read. 
Um, it was very, very, very in-depth, and I had to be very picky and choosy about the stuff that I wanted to keep in. There was, I didn't talk about half the article. I'm um, sure. Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of letters and numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, um, hold on. Let me pull up the actual paper, because one of the compounds they used is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I think you did a good job of breaking it down and taking the headache out of it, as we, uh, as we say we do. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, so one of the staining technologies they used was called 5-ethanyl-2-deoxyuridine. Cute. Yep. Great baby name. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, that's all I got for you today. Wow. Cool stuff. So like, so this was mostly out of Woods Hole and... Woods Hole and a bit of work was done at Charles River as well. Cool. What can folks do if they want to help protect sharks, rays, and skates so that we can continue to do this kind of research and also have them because they're great. Well, as an individual, the best thing that you can do is talk about them. Talk about the things that you love about them. Talk uh, in a way that sort of dispels the bad rumors about sharks. Um, don't call water shark-infested waters because if anything, they're human-infested waters when we're in there. Mm -hmm. um, you can try to live as sustainably as the individual possibly can. Uh, you can try to uh, get yourself involved in a lot of community-level action, like things like beach cleanups and the like. Um, is that a satisfying enough answer? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So in summary, um, tell people why you love sharks, clear up misconceptions about them. People love to paint them as villains and they're not. Mm -hmm. um, you can look into the products that you're buying and the food that you're eating to see if it's shark safe or if it's sustainable in general. Um, spread the word on that. And if you see any bills or anything to protect sharks, um, either by, you know, creating stronger fishing regulations for the fisheries that disrupt their population growth and stuff like that, or creating more protected areas, you can support those. And generally just vote with the environment in mind and keep an eye out for people in your community and groups that are working on these issues and lend them your talents. Yeah, um, big one that I can think of that is around our, our neck of the woods is the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. I love the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. They're the best. Mm -hmm. We went to a lecture that, that they did. It was fantastic. We did do that. That was great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was pre-COVID. Oh, that was pre-COVID. All right. This has oh, been wow. a good episode. A shorter one. A shorter one. But I'm sure y'all appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to condense this as much as I possibly could, but uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, cool. Um, I will be bringing our article for our next episode. And y'all, I have no idea what I'm going to cover because we don't have a theme for the next few episodes. It's not Shark Month anymore. So oh, if sure. anyone has something that you do want me to cover, whether it's just a general topic or a specific article, please make my life easier and send it my way. <laughs> um, so once again, you can follow us on Instagram at science underscore in underscore podcast. And you can email us at uh, podcast at science and pictures.com. We will accept both. We do not bite. Um, and we, well, we can, but we don't. We, we no. can, but we don't. We Anything won't with a mouth can bite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yep, yep. All right. So that's really it. I only have one question left for you, Jared, before we say goodbye. What's that? You picturing an egg? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Bye, everybody.